I'm still stuck on Rory getting me a baby cake for a baby shower. <laughs> Be wary of any gifts shaped like a cage, Sherry. <laughs> Welcome to episode 62 of the Humus Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. Welcome back to another episode. A lot has happened since our nothing last recording. Nothing has happened uh, in the world. We've had nothing happen. Uneventful <laughs> Everything year. is just fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the fire rages around us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so it's been a while since we recorded. Um... But, you know, we we had a very large, multiple large protests that occurred in Canada. And now we're just on the verge of World War Three. Mm. What a great start to 2022. And here I thought 2022 was going to be a great year. <laughs> You've just reminded me we're still only at the beginning of 2022. What is this? I know. Oh, it feels like we've been in this forever. <laughs> We were so hopeful, you know, at the beginning of 2022. Everything seemed fine. Huh? I, I don't know. Were <laughs> we cautiously I was optimistic? I was hopeful. <laughs> I was hopeful things were going to improve and work out. And yeah, I can't remember. I, I think what it all was. of our focus was probably on the pandemic and how we all probably believed it would start to subside. Mm-hmm. Maybe correct, but it has. It, it's been things. subsiding, and you know, uh, mandates are being lifted. But for <laughs> some odd reason, there are still protests every single weekend about lifting mandates, even though <laughs> mandates are being lifted. So I don't know. I'm very confused about what's going on there. Mm, yeah, not lifted quickly enough for some. It seems like there's probably something else at play other than mandates. Yeah, mm. I don't know. They they seem to carry different f- flags, like the Confederate flag sometimes. So maybe they just want to say they just want to be more white <laughs> or make <laughs> Canada more white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I made a point. I don't know. I should maybe shouldn't have done anything on Facebook about it. But I sort of posted something about how there were Nazi flags and uh, Confederate flags and stuff like that. And then... Uh, I had somebody that I knew, you know, a while back that I used to work with who said, the only Nazis here are the Canadian government. And I said, you're not my friend anymore. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) The Holocaust was a real thing and we are not downplaying it and uh, unfriend. (laughs) That's how I handled that. Hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting to see these uh, Canadians compare kind of our vaccine mandates and our mass mandates to Nazi Germany, even though they have every, they continue to have rights to protests. They, you know, it's not like they started protesting and we immediately rounded them up and arrested them for protesting. And the only reason, you know, these protesters were starting to become, uh, or started becoming, um, or basically we started uh, arresting them was probably because they actually started infringing on kind of the rights of others in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, protests are supposed to be a, related to peaceful assembly. You're not supposed to you know, harass or harm other people. But, I mean, it's clear that the 24-hour honking mm. and noise in residential areas is harmful for people to actually live there. And let's be honest, it was three weeks after the protest started that we started actually arresting people. 
and and handing out fines and things. I think the majority of what we did was hand out fines to people, and like a few people mm-hmm. got arrested. Uh, yeah, but it was like three weeks later. It wasn't like that day or anything exactly. like that. Yeah, I remember reading the story about uh, her name was Sexy Lee, the, the Ottawa citizen who finally got the injunction filed against the honking. Yeah, so they couldn't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Good for her. People in Ottawa love her. They view her as like a hero. <laughs> they want. Yeah. I would too. Yeah. Noise, constant noise is just one of those things that drives me crazy. Mm. But you know, these convoy protests are still happening, right? Like are they? every single weekend. Yeah. Oh my God. There's one just... that rolled through London yesterday. Really? Every single Saturday they show up. And the police are really good because they obviously have intelligence and uh, see what's what the chatter is online and they are very good at uh blocking roads Mm. right before the convoy hits so they can't (laughs) settle in around you know a city hall or anything like that yeah is that their goal to like occupy the downtown area yep of course (laughs) they want to occupy just madness oh yeah i i've tried to under i haven't gotten like good content to help me understand the positive sides of the vaccine protesters and the truck convoy but enough people are sympathetic to them that i want to learn i want to find out what exactly is the nuanced view of the convoy because right now i have an overly negative view of them but i i also don't know what is the point the majority of canadians are vaccinated 90% of truckers are vaccinated. So they framed this as a protest for Canadians. And I just don't get it because I don't feel like I'm being oppressed or (laughs) restricted in any way. I am still able to go to the gym, do anything I want as long as I have my mask on. What's the big deal? Yeah, I feel like I would understand it more if it was framed in terms of businesses that aren't able to operate, you know, if it was still like lockdowns every other week and something like that, and people are financially hitting a a point of ruin, maybe I could wrap my head around that a bit more. But right now, it just seems very much like... But Rory, businesses are being locked down or were locked down because of the protesters. (laughs) (laughs) The protesters are literally... Preventing businesses from from operating. So I don't know. I just don't understand the protest, and I feel like the majority of Canadians also don't understand it. That's fair. And I've heard that the goals of the protest are very different from organizer to protester to you know the different levels of this. The Mm -hmm. funding as well. A lot of funding supposedly coming from the states, which is majority majority of funding comes from the states. And I was very happy to see hackers were able to hack into. The, uh, the funding database and they were able to identify every single mm. person who donated. Yeah. Including the uh, the millionaire in London who donated <laughs> and every other, you know, anti-vaccine, anti-mass uh, activists. They were identified and it's published online. Wonderful. <laughs> what do you... Both of you, what do you feel about having, like, major donations? Like, if you're forwarding millions of dollars to any cause, not just, you know, trucker convoys, to have a lot more transparency on that, to have everyone know what cause you're committing that much money. I don't see why not. I mean, uh, to me, like, especially, like, large sums of money, I feel like there needs to be a bit of transparency there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with large sums of money, for sure. 
I don't have large sums of money, so it doesn't really concern me. <laughs> but like if I did and um, I would want it to be part of, you know, public record, I, I don't think you should be able to donate that like a huge amount of money. Um, I don't know, to a cause anonymously just because uh, like if, if it's a large amount of money, they, the company or not company, sorry, the charity or whatever needs to be, uh, they need to be beholden to, you know, the government and the public. And I think that sort of thing should be documented. I would typically fall on the same side as, as both of you in terms of why not have total transparency. I can understand the argument of, you know, what if we take it all the way down to the, the $5 that you donate here and there and people create a profile of you, what you like to donate to. And I can see how people would be uncomfortable with having their privacy violated in that way. But when you have millions of dollars that you can commit to a cause, I don't know. I don't know where the cutoff point is. It seems a little arbitrary to me, but big money feels like it should be transparent. Yeah. But to be honest, again, I, I'm biased, so... I don't care about uh, the privacy of people that donated to this convoy protest. <laughs> so <laughs> every single person, even if they donated a dollar, <laughs> it's now online. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oh, the small donors were also. Yep. Ah. Yep. <laughs> I think one of the I, larger... I, I saw the database online, and I uh, did also peruse. Who do I know? <laughs> I definitely, I definitely identified one person oh, no. that I knew. Social networking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I heard that was it. Jagmeet Singh's brother donated like eighteen thousand without realizing what it really was in the beginning, and he came out and apologized. Was it him? I can't even remember. Oh, I don't know. I didn't know about that. I, I'm sure I heard. Oh no, this needs to be cut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sure I read an article about it, but maybe I'm like hallucinating. <laughs> I hope that's not true. I mean, it's wrong on so many levels. Who has eighteen thousand dollars to just throw around at a cause that they don't even completely understand yet? If they were a millionaire, yeah. Maybe. No, it's true. It <laughs> is true. Oh okay. no, Sing's uh, uh, brother-in-law. Sing's brother-in-law. Oh, brother-in-law uh, has asked uh, for uh, thirteen thousand dollar trucker convoy donation back yeah but still yeah, thirteen thousand dollars yeah on his donation <laughs> man <laughs> if everyone could get a return on their donation yeah wouldn't that be and... an interesting world you donated the money that's <laughs> it you, you should know where you're donating your money i have embarrassing relatives too so i guess i can understand <laughs> exactly it's a brother-in-law it's <laughs> why they're like mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I just remember it because it, it was news and it, obviously it's Jagmeet Singh who is like NDP leader, you know, mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. core value kind of guy. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he is publicly apologized. Is it true that uh, accounts are being frozen and assets being seized from participants in the protests? Yeah. Uh, yes. It is true? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially those that are were arrested mm. and are now prevented and uh, weren't given bail as well. So I feel like, okay, if you're arrested, there's a reason why you're still in jail. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the ones who are like defacing monuments and stuff like that. How is that not just criminal vandalism? Like, yes, you should be charged for that. Mm -hmm. The Terry Fox monument is like the most neutral thing ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
what what do you have against you know fighting cancer? I know, right? <laughs> He's a lefty. They see through it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but you know it it could be worse. I mean, you could be a protester in Russia and be arrested <laughs> that night. <laughs> so. Yeah, like, can I just say before, you know, I know you were transitioning, I'm really sad that we became a joke overnight for, like, the entire world. Like, like all of my U.S. news sources were essentially making fun of us because we had this, like, idiotic trucker protest. I felt very sad for our country for a while. And then I felt more sad for Ukraine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sherry, for a brief moment in time, we knew what... It was like to be an American. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry. I wanted, I just wanted to say that because I was, I was so embarrassed and we can go back to yeah. Ukraine talking about Ukraine and how sad yeah. that is. I was embarrassed like, too. Like I was just... the, the fact, the fact that my international colleagues knew about it and brought the topic up when I was talking to them, I was just like, Oh, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be a Canadian anymore. Yeah. <laughs> disassociate. Disassociate. I know. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yes. So yes, setting that aside, definitely, you know, putting these two protests sort of side by side, looking at them and seeing how Ukraine, as soon as people started protesting, all or I guess it was in Russia that people were protesting. It was in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. As soon so as they start protesting, yeah, yeah, they get arrested, mm-hmm. and that's it. Exactly. So how how is it that Canada is a communist? You know, lefty, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, dictatorship. When we let our protesters go on for three weeks, even though they what they were doing was completely illegal, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. massively disruptive to ordinary citizens' lives, and it's still going on in terms of like protests every single weekend. <laughs> yeah, so, don't they look at the news and say situation. like? wow, there's, like, real things happening in this world. Don't they just look at the news and, you know, maybe think... Oh, Sherry, <laughs> I have tragic news for you. I I was oh. perusing the, the comments in, in oh, CBC. No. I, I know I that. shouldn't. I know, oh. I know it's a bad idea. There was a thread of thinking that the Russian invasion of Ukraine was actually a ploy between Trudeau and Putin to distract from the political fallout of the trucker convoy in Canada. Hmm, quite the ploy. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I had no idea that Trudeau had such sway internationally. I know. He could command <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Who knew he had so much power and influence in the world? <laughs> <sighs> that's, that's, sad. that's the level of reasoning that I was exposed to. There's a lot of misinformation, not just like just people with their conspiracy theories, but... Also, I heard that the Russian government is just, like, bombarding people over social media with misinformation. Like, this is the danger of social media. And why I think that somebody like Mark Zuckerberg has a duty to society to actually regulate his platform. Mm. I know that that Russia, no doubt, has their their own narrative and their own, you know, spin on the events. I was trying to understand the the reasoning behind the Ukraine invasion invasion besides just, you know, it was part of the former Soviet Union and he wanted it back yeah, kind of idea. The the uh, ex- the re- the rationale from the Russians is essentially they are freeing the 
oppressed people in Ukraine, uh, mm. particularly in the uh, the two independent regions uh, that they uh, felt like the people in uh, the eastern part of Ukraine were oppressed, and they want to denazify Ukraine. That is really? a quote. That is a quote. <laughs> They want to denazify Ukraine, even though the Ukrainian president is of Jewish descent and had his, uh, you know, uh, family died in the Holocaust as well. So it takes some guts to call that type of person a Nazi. Can mm-hmm. we just talk about the Ukrainian president for a second and how awesome he's he amazing. is? <laughs> okay, to like frame all of this, in 2019 he was elected, but he previously was an actor who played, I think it was the Ukrainian president on TV. Like he just sort of played a president or something on TV and people were like, we like you so much, you should actually be our president. <laughs> so he was elected into the presidency and like he is so... I wish I had a, a word that wasn't a swear word. Bad. Mm. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> He's a mother. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to go without swearing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he is so cool. He's like, he was offered to be evacuated from the area, like to somewhere safe, like the U.S. sort of said, we'll we'll evacuate you and whatever. And he was like, nah, I'm going to stay on the front line. I'm going to pick up a gun. I'm going to fight with these people. Like, he is so amazing. Like, mad respect to mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's not leaving. So whereas you can just envision any other World state leader, leader yeah. would have left already, right? <laughs> would or, have fled to a NATO country. <laughs> we know a TV star who was who was uh, elected president of a different country who would have fleed to his little Mar-a-Lago <laughs> estate, <laughs> his golf resort. Uh, you know, uh, a reporter did actually ask um, uh, he who shall not be named uh, <laughs> what he would have done in the in the same situation, would he stay and fight? And he just started talking, I don't know, you know, using big words that don't make any sense. I didn't quite answer the question, but the non-answer really felt like an answer to me. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he was buddy-buddy with Putin and Xi Jinping. Oh, yeah. Well, Trump w- w- denied uh, <laughs> defense spending to Ukraine, so mm-hmm. you, I don't think he really cares about the Ukrainian people. Oh boy, it's so sad what's happening over there. I'm, I'm just, I'm devastated for the Ukrainian people. I, I wish we would do more, and I don't understand why we're not. I don't know. It just seems like they're they've got missiles hitting their cities, and Russia is like notorious for being our villain of this world. Like they've been the villain for. Yeah, I don't know, like a century, right? And and yet we're allowing them to do this to a country that is right beside well, them. I think part of the uh, the underlying cause is Ukraine was leading towards joining NATO, becoming mm-hmm. a NATO nation. And Russia, of course, perceived that as a, a grave threat to their safety and security in their nation. And I think that was one of the more realistic pretenses for this invasion. But the reason why we can't 
directly support Ukraine, from what I read, is the very real possibility of triggering a nuclear war. I know. Mm-hmm. I couldn't and, help but yeah, feel... No, because they're not part of NATO, it's like mm-hmm. one of those, we don't yeah. really have the, <laughs> the the legal framework to actually go defend NATO, uh, defend uh, Ukraine. Yeah. But, which is why we're doing everything else other than send troops, right? Yeah, <laughs> the so, economic supplying, sanctions and Yes, economic and sanctions, providing weapons, intelligence to Ukraine. So we're giving them everything without actually stepping foot <laughs> into mm-hmm. Ukraine. I just wish we could. Like, I wish all that legality and I don't know. But I understand. I understand Russia's threatening nuclear war and whatever. But, like, you got to think, Russia probably saw these sanctions coming. Like, otherwise, they wouldn't have gone into Ukraine. I think they knew it was coming. They decided to do it anyway. They don't care about these economic sanctions for now. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, before... the people in Russia might care because mm-hmm. now they're, the ruble has tanked. Everyone is running to ATMs to try to pull money out and discovering that they can't actually pull money out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... So the uh, population in Russia are going to have a very uh, difficult time (laughs) functioning. I heard there was a poll or something that said that Putin's popularity is down to like 30%. Oh, yeah. It's tanking. Mm -hmm. And that's why like all these uh, uh, prominent Russians are actually speaking out uh, against the war. So, yeah, I um, saw some millionaires were voicing their displeasure and uh, breaking news right now. Canada has banned all Russian flights from our airspace, so mm-hmm. now Russia can't even escape anywhere. <laughs> they, can't, they, they can't fly over Europe. They can't fly over Canada, so which means they can't access any of the Americas. Like they're they're stuck. What do you think? Do you think that Russia's just going to take that though, or should we expect more cyber attacks or things of that nature? Because I'm sure there will be some kind of backlash from the Russian government. With regard to all the sanctions. I'm not going to make any predictions. I feel like it's too difficult to know Mm -hmm. where things are going to go. I mean, I didn't think they were actually going to go to war in the first place. I thought they would amass their army at the border and, like, you know, be all, um, you know, uh, boastful and whatever just to get what they wanted, just to get some sort of concession. Like, I didn't realize they were actually going to full out go for this. Yeah, most people, I mean, mo- most Ukrainians also didn't think that this would actually happen. Like, mm-hmm. it, this has never happened since World War II. <laughs> like, why mm-hmm. would a country just invade another European country? And I think the timing is kind of funny. They waited until after the Olympics when their figure skaters were competing. They were like, we want to get our figure skaters gold. We'll let them go, and then we will attack. Like, it was right after the Olympics. I just thought that was very fishy. Yeah. They were doping all of their athletes. Don't you mean cheated to cheated <laughs> yeah. to get the medal in the Olympics? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hold on, hold on. You're not talking about that poor 15 year old girl who had that catastrophic uh, routine and fell right out of the medals, are you? Yeah, she had. She was on angina medication because it slows down your heart. So mm-hmm. it's a doping drug. So she was doping essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But it's she just... did win a gold in the team's event. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what uh, you're asking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, all I read was just about her her poor singles routine that fell apart and watching mm-hmm. that hard-to-watch aftermath of that where, you know, doping or not, I just saw a 15-year-old girl breaking down and it breaks your heart. 
Yeah. There's a lot to say about that, and I won't get into it because yeah. I don't want to derail, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to talk about. (laughs) This is what happens when we take too much time off. (laughs) The agenda just fills. Oh, no. We've gone on for so long already. (laughs) I know. What are we even talking about today? (laughs) (laughs) Parental controls. (laughs) We'll talk about... We could do the transition. Ukraine is trying to escape control of Russia. Russia is trying to control its citizens. We're going to talk about parental guidance and controls. Yes. Oh, so natural. Bad mother Russia. Bad mother Russia. Beautifully flowing transition. (laughs) It was good. I I did a good job there. (laughs) Okay. So we want to talk about parental controls. We're switching. (laughs) We're good. Uh, Oh, I just feel very weighed down from all of that. I just, the Ukrainian thing makes me, I don't know, feel sad. Yeah, it, it makes, I, I, I'm just, the last few days have just been so exhausting just watching the news and yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I hope things will get better, but who knows. Mm-hmm. For sure. All of our best, all of our love to Ukraine, mm-hmm. anyone who has yeah. family Donate over if Ukraine. you can, Yeah. donate to the Red Cross if you can, or UNICEF, they're doing their best to try to rest, uh, not rescue, but you know, support people when they cross over borders and things like that. But and actually, you know, one thing that was very positive that I saw was, um, you know, the, the neighboring countries aren't really known to like people, you know, uh, seeking refugee <laughs> status in their countries. That has completely disappeared. Uh, the, all the visa requirements have been dropped across the entire region so there's free flow of uh, people for whatever reason and um uh, i am on an expat uh, uh facebook group for romania and literally every single post is people offering their homes for refugees there's just like hundreds of posts about you know you know need a home this is my number need a home i have a you know extra bedroom extra house things like that so I thought that was very, very positive to see. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, we've we've done our best. We've talked about how we can help. Yep. Let's sort of put that aside for a while. <laughs> um, parental control. Parental, or parental guidance. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, we can delve into a little history first, if you'd like. Um, I have only a little bit of history. I thought, and and a lot of it, to be honest, is uh, U.S. based because the U.S. their rating system is just absolutely bonkers, um, <laughs> and I find it very interesting. So I, I I looked a lot into U.S., but I did also look into Canada as well. So uh, we'll we'll kind of move through the U.S. first because they did really influence our rating system, and then we'll talk a little bit about Canada at the end. Yeah, and then we'll go international. So our movie. So I'm going to focus mostly on movie. Uh, parental controls. Uh, so thinking back to, you know, the 20s, uh, there was a lot of freedom in movie creation in the 20s. You know, the roaring 20s, everyone was kind of going wild and having fun and doing all this stuff. And, and so there wasn't a lot of guidance. And so they were able to get away with a lot more controversial plot points. You know, things like uh, women in positions of power, um, <gasps> oh, oh my! No. <laughs> how, how possibly could that be? 
Yeah. I'm offended. <laughs> well, the uh, the uh, Movie Picture Association of America was offended. Uh, well, after it formed. <laughs> it formed because of the 20s. Um, because, you know, uh, they were seeing, you know, these controversial plot points or... Um, you know, these scandals that were happening off screen. So uh, there was a lot of actresses and actors who were having, you know, um, drug scandals and sex scandals and all those things. And so um, after the war, there was kind of this return to conservatism. And, uh, you know, the, the 20s were, you know, wild and fun. And then the war really brought people back down. Uh, and so... Um, the Motion Picture Association was formed, uh, and at the time, William Hayes uh, was at the head of it, uh, and, and he made a set of guidelines, and they named the the guidelines after him. They called it the Hayes Code. Um, and this set of guidelines was in place from 1934 to 1968. Um, and so filmmakers, they weren't ready to totally give up the 20s, uh, so they started to put in a in some innuendo and, you know, they tried to get around a lot of these restrictions. They started to be really creative about how they could get around restrictions with the Hayes Code. Uh, and then uh, Jack Valenti uh, became the president of the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, in 66. And uh, he was actually Lyndon Johnson's right-hand man in the White House. So we can sort of guess where he's coming from and what he's going to try to do. Um, and Think of the children, right? <laughs> yeah. That's all he was thinking about. Think yeah. of all the children. <laughs> so he was, uh, he went in trying to maybe correct some of the challenging language that he saw and the themes that he saw creeping in and that the, you know, the conservative government wanted to crack down on. Because uh, it seems like Hollywood is is quite often the adversary to the uh, more conservative government politics. Yes, thinking about the children, like you say, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so he tried to convince Hollywood that his idea was better than just doing straight out censorship. So having this rating system was better than just pure censorship. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's kind of what's still in place. Uh, and this is where things get really interesting for me. Uh, cause there's this film called, um, well, the film is called, this film is not yet rated. Um, and Kirby Dick is the director and he's a fabulous director. He's, um, he's an awesome documentary maker, love him and love a lot of what he's done. And so in this film, they talk about how there's, a core group of uh, companies that own pretty much all of the United States media. Uh, So Sony, WB, Universal, Walt Disney, 20th Century Fox, and Paramount. They control more than 95% of the film business. So that leaves, you know, what, 5% for any any independents, maybe even less than that for an independent. Um, So most of it is controlled by these big conglomerates. And so in this film, a lot of these filmmakers were talking about how when they were associated with bigger studios, uh, they had a lot more leeway within these guidelines. And when they're, so you submit your film to be rated. And once it's rated, 
uh, it comes back to you. Um, and when these filmmakers found they were associated with these big studios, they had more information about what they could change to get a better rating. And they found that when they were independent, they didn't get that information and didn't know what to change and really didn't get an option to change anything. Uh, so it's interesting to see how these companies kind of have weaseled their way into this uh, system that is meant to maybe protect people. But uh, the way it is set up is that there is um, a set of, or a panel of raters or judges, uh, and they're meant to be anonymous, um, and they pass judgment on these films. They'll watch these films and um, make their judgments on these films, and, and they'll actually count, like, you know, how many times have they said, you know, the F word or things like that, and that will change the rating based on, you know, the number of swear words or whatever. When you think about these these raters, and I've read that they, they mainly rely on their own subjective appraisal in order to determine the rating system, what do you two think about, you know, the fact that there's no way they could possibly be representative of the general population and the general cultural trends in terms of what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable? Like, it's probably like 15 people at most doing the ratings, and so it's not going to be a collective decision well, it's interesting what I learned about these raiders, uh, because they're supposed to be anonymous, right? So, so they're supposed to be free. Uh, the The idea is that they're free from any of the pressures of society that would put on them to make a certain judgment about a movie. Um, and they actually have no qualifications for one thing, and there's no real guide for what is appropriate uh, or inappropriate. Uh, so... Um, you know, they have these jobs uh, where they're supposed to judge something and, and they need to be accountable to the public and yet they're anonymous. So there's no real, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know, paper trail or anything to keep these people accountable. Um, and so it's actually really interesting in this movie because Kirby Deck hires a private detective and they start um, they start following these people when they're leaving movie showings uh just to try and figure out who they are um and uh so he did some detective work uh and found out that the board of people that are actually rating consists of a lot of entertainment CEOs uh like film buyers and and some other CEOs so it's interesting that they're allowed to remain anonymous and yet kind of have this this bias still right and they're supposed to be parents with children aged five, uh, sorry, aged five to 17. Um, and that is a requirement, but some of them had children who were older and they're only supposed to serve three to seven years. Uh, but some of them were serving longer than that. So there's absolutely no oversight for this board. And it's just sort of, it seems like it's very much in the pocket of these, uh, big conglomerates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, um, encounter while you were reading about uh, the Raiders and whatnot, this concept of a ratings creep, how the uh, the ratings that you get, like, you know, you've got the G, you've got the PG, the PG-13, the R, and the NC-17, that the language and the, you know, the, the things that they use to determine what a movie should get or what kind of rating it should ultimately land has been changing and shifting through the years. That's, you know, hence ratings creep. So what might have got you uh, an R so many decades ago will now get you a PG-13, you know, 
that's the direction that I, is being alleged is you know, we're becoming more, I, I guess, desensitized. And so the idea is that the Raiders of the movies, it's like a, it's a cycle and incrementally as they become more desensitized and their subjective appraisal changes and they think, Oh, well, this is okay for a, a younger person to see then that feeds back in and then the new next generation of movies come out and then, oh, well, that's okay for a younger generation to see. And it just keeps going on and on until, you know, teenage audiences are viewing things that used to be completely restricted. It's also interesting. So there was a story about uh, Team America. Do you remember Team America, the movie? It of was... course. Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> Classic movie. I loved this movie. I saw it like four times in the theater. I literally saw it four <laughs> times and I snuck in every time because I think I was just under the little age limit. <laughs> um, but they were talking about how in that movie, um, they purposely put in this huge, I don't know if you ever saw the extended cut version of this movie, but they put in this huge, unnecessary, completely over the top sort of sex scene. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was just like way <laughs> too much. And so they, they purposely put it in so that when they submitted their film to be rated, they knew it would get an NC-17. And they came back with like a bunch of, you know, things to change and then they just cut the sex scene and were allowed to keep everything that they wanted in that film but they purposely <laughs> put in this like just awful scene that they didn't think worked at all with the film and was not good at all it's just an attention grabber <laughs> everybody's gonna focus on that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but you think like you talk about being you know desensitized and stuff so like the film readers would see this original film and be like wow that is too much and then they would watch the new cut and be like oh, okay they've cut that out that's fine we can give them <laughs> this rating right like you're just like less yeah but even the rating system i just it's very odd that the ratings when it comes to like violence it's almost like a non-issue it can be as violent as possible but the moment you have some kind of <laughs> sex scene in it immediately it gets you know whatever rated r or whatever is higher um so it, it i mean it, the other example that i read was like the movie boys don't cry where mm -hmm. yeah there's like intense violence in there no one batted an eye, but the moment there's an LGBT character mm. having sex, big issue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. She was actually, so the director of Boys Don't Cry was actually part of this film um, and interviewed by Kirby Dick and, and talked about that issue of how, you know, this film does have violence in it. And then as soon as, but what the Raiders came back with was the issue was this sex scene um, between you know, the trans person and the woman and uh, also talking about how showing women's pleasure also becomes this contentious yeah. issue. The, the quote I got was, uh, oh, the, uh, the note that came up was the orgasm in one scene was too long. <laughs> that oh. was the note. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. like, like of everything, there's like intense <laughs> violence. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and Mary Heron is, is the director of American Psycho. And she said something that really resonated me, with me. She said, uh, there's always a fear that sex more than violence would dissolve, would dissolve the social bonds and take the society apart. Which, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 
Um, there were some statistics. That but they not started, violence? Yeah. <laughs> there were some statistics that they came out with. Um, said nearly four times as many films received an NC-17, which is like the restricted, uh, which would be like our, you know, you have to show a photo ID and, and get into and that sort of thing, um, for sex as opposed to violence. Four times as many films. Shooting someone without blood gets PG-13, so something like maybe... Uh, James Bond. And, and, and there was also this point of, you know, um, it becoming a fear of gay sex more than anything that, that if, if it's like regular, you know, missionary heterosexual sex, that it's, it's much safer than if it's, you know, only for procreation as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but if it's, you know, something that is LGBT, that is immediately something that is seen as, as uh not okay to to distribute right yeah so it's interesting you know how especially when you're talking about this this ratings creep rory i think that we still have you know those biases especially in the u.s Mm -hmm. about uh even lgbt people or you know this puritanical view of sex in general yeah so yeah and and very biased towards this male dominated view i think um especially because a lot of the directors that we see are are male white males white cis males straight males and and mm-hmm. so that's the viewpoint we often get and so when we get these dissenting viewpoints of you know maybe a female director looking at you know female pleasure which is just so taboo uh on screen whereas if male like males can show pleasure more often you know kind of thing and yeah it's it's very interesting, very sad way that we look at our society. For sure. Yeah. I was actually curious when I was uh, reading this to get both of your takes on, you know, what age it is appropriate to start showing, you know, depictions of sex for one, depictions of alternative sexualities for another, and, you know, just sexual content in general, what it achieves and when we should introduce it to, you know, what age group. Should it coincide with puberty? Should it be later? I don't know. What do you two think? I don't know. Um, I feel like it, generally there's a certain time frame when parents need to talk about the birds and the bees, right? So mm-hmm. um, I feel like, I mean, it is, it's not like children need to be taught this all in one sitting, right? I, I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a gradual discussion with children about, you know, uh, different parts of uh, sex education. Of course, catered to based on their age, right, and how they're able to actually understand the various concepts you're trying to teach them. Mm-hmm. Maturity level as well. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think you're both onto something. That a lot of it is just going to fall to the parent knows their child better than a rating system ever will, and they'll know whether the time is right to allow them to explore sexual dimensions in film. I think. I, it's tough though, because I don't think all parents really understand their kids very well. Some might, and I think some do. Some do, I would say. Um, but I think there are others who maybe don't understand their kids' maturity level or or really any of that. You know, I went to. I remember I had an experience, um, not with a movie about sex, but I went. <laughs> so you're going to think this is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> my parents took me to the theater to see Mars Attacks. I don't know if you remember that movie. I do. <laughs> yeah. For weeks after, I had nightmares about aliens trying to kill me and, like, 
like shooting and, and disintegrating. And <laughs> yeah. And, and like I was running and they were just disintegrating everything around me. So I was not ready for that film. And, and I think I, I maybe was less ready for films with violence, maybe than, you know, sexual content, uh, which probably would have gone over my head. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Why but... are they wrestling naked? <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I don't you get know, <laughs> I think yeah, my parents didn't understand that and then maybe didn't know how to talk to me about, you know, violence and stuff like that. So it's such, it's so tricky. It's so tricky because you want to think that everyone, every parent would be sort of on top of that and able to, to d- determine that for themselves. And then, you know, I was pretty scarred by that. <laughs> <laughs> Mars Attacks is the most ridiculous movie ever. I just think it's the silliest thing. I get it. I get it. But I was just terrified of this idea of aliens coming down and trying to kill me. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. No judgment, Sherry. I was terrified of the movie Gremlins, which is a straight-up comedy (laughs) when I was a child. Yeah. Yeah, fair. (laughs) You made me think of, of another interesting question, though, related to this topic is... Do you think it's appropriate to show violence at a younger age or sex at a younger age? You know, which should come later than the other? I think violence should come later. I mean, obviously, I just sort of said that. I I think that violence is maybe the one thing that we permit too often in this society. Mm -hmm. And I think and I think that violence ties into sex quite often. You know, that's where we get, you know, this high incidence of sexual assault and and rape and things like that. So. I think that is too common in our society. Because violence has definitely been creeping into you know younger and younger movies. I think there's probably even G-rated movies that have some kind of violent resolution in them. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, or even um, you know those those uh, puppets that you used to see. It was Judy and I can't remember the other one, but they used to bop each other on the head with a bat. <laughs> But like Judy and Punch, I think was, that's the names of them. And um, yeah, like, I think that we just take cartoon violence even too, too lightly. And I think that sort of breeds violence often within our children, especially young boys. I think they get exposed to it more often. Ah, But now we're attacking my childhood, Sherry, my Looney Tunes. (laughs) I I feel personally attacked by this. (laughs) Rory, do you feel like you're now more violent person? (laughs) I don't know. I I can't say that I ever necessarily oh, felt akin to any of the Looney Tunes and felt like I needed to replicate their behavior. But that really is the, the question at the core of all this, right? Is to what extent is observational learning and priming factor and with what type of you know depictions that we're seeing on screen? Yeah. I mean, overwhelmingly, I think media studies have favored the side that observational learning is real and that children will mimic the behaviors that they're seeing on screen and yeah yeah i can see not necess- not ever not everything but uh there were definitely you know play wrestling after watching professional wrestling as a child that was definitely a thing but in terms of you know the the wild type of things that you'd see with wily coyote devising explosives and elaborate traps no there was no not a, dropping anvils yeah on people. there were no <laughs> no anvils dropped in my childhood so yeah but it's the but start like to the, other violence it, it, i feel yeah if anything you know we always encourage some kind of 
discussion if there's a topic around sex, right? But mm. there's, I don't think it's a, nor, a norm for people to actually have a discussion around the violence that children see in media. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Maybe we're more afraid of uh, unwanted teen pregnancies than we are of violence and beatings mm-hmm. and assaults. I, I can't say what the, the rationale is. I don't know. I think it's just built into our society to be so puritanical about sex. And, you know, some people don't even talk to their kids about sex. That's how you know puritanical it can be. And even thinking about some of those religions, which really sort of push sex down. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it kind of thing. And yeah. So I think sex is like this bigger deal to us than, you know, aggressive behavior. Yeah. So, um, Coming back to, I guess, our, our rating system, um, there there is an appeal process. So you can appeal your rating, um, but it's another secret board. And this is all in the U.S. again, by the way. There's another <laughs> secret board. And not only is it just a board of, I don't know, some people, but it also has an Episcopalian and a Catholic representative. Now, they don't have a vote, but they're part of the discussion, which the filmmaker does not have access to. But in the in the movie, there was an anonymous board member who said they do vote. Uh, but there's there's no oversight. You can't find out if they do or don't. You just get sort of an answer of, yes, we'll change it or no, mm-hmm. we won't. Um, and, and if you're a filmmaker, you can't, in, in your appeal, you can't reference other films that were similar. So there is no real, like thing to say there's no standardization standard. yes <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there's no standard absolutely it's literally just made up on the spot depending on who's in the room right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's that's kind of the motion picture association of america and i don't think it's changed much since that documentary great documentary you should go watch it if you have the opportunity so i did look into the canadian standardization and, and how we rate our system, uh, our movies and, and things like that. So it's all province by province. Uh, so Canada has kind of separated things province by province um, and allowed each province to make their own rating system. And I think a lot of our rating system was based on the U.S.'s. We use a lot of the same titles of like PG and um, things like that. So in 2020, we made a change. And so this is coming from the Ontario website. Uh, It says, to reflect changes in the marketplace and increased use of digital platforms, there is no longer a requirement to provide movie ratings for films shown in Ontario. Film Content uh, Information Act of 2020 requires film exhibitors to provide consumers with information on a film's content instead. So, for example, it might include the age of the intended audience, so who your film is for, uh, depictions of violence, coarse language, and use of tobacco or other substances. So we don't actually have a rating system anymore. It is government controlled, though. Uh, when we did have a rating system, it was government controlled. Uh, so there was a panel that were, you know, there is an oversight process and you know who the people are and all of that. Um, but now we just don't have a rating system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just says if there's violence, if there's nudity, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed, though, that like movies, if you go like to a theater website, like, you know, a movie theater website, it will say a rating. um, But it's kind of 
I think just sort of based off of what the U.S. puts a rating on on their films, and it just has some sort of content warning in it. Wondering what you guys think of this idea. It sounds like you're talking about descriptive rating. You know, putting the whole mm-hmm. product may contain scenes of brief nudity or you know harsh and shocking violence, things like that. I don't know. What do you think is is better? Should we arbitrarily be not arbitrarily, but should we be putting these these age brackets in there, or should we just have like here's the content of the film? Now, make the best informed decision that you can about whether your child is able to to view this material. Well, that sounds like what we're doing now is is sort of we're saying here's the content. I mean, we're still keeping those little ratings on, I guess. But I think that's better. I think that it's up to the parent to decide here's what the content of the film is. If I'm questioning any of it, maybe I go see it before I show my my child mm-hmm. this this movie. And, and I sort of decide on, OK, I think my child is ready uh, I think this is appropriate for my child to see. And that's what movie reviews are for, right? I mean, yeah. if you really want to dig into whether it might be appropriate or not, I mean, the movie reviews should be able to give you an indication. Mm-hmm. I've heard the the counter argument to this, though, because I'm leaning towards, you know, better description, more information. Why wouldn't you want that? But the the counter argument to that is that some of these buzzwords actually become like marketing to attract certain young persons like they'll see extreme gore or brutal violence they'll be like oh yeah those are the buzzwords i want to see so now i want to see this movie even if it's not appropriate for them i think teenagers are always gonna see movies like that like i don't think a rating is gonna a rating didn't stop me clearly yeah. from going to see <laughs> movies that i wanted to i just snuck into yeah. them if, if they're looking for that type of movie they're going to find a way to watch it anyways right i, mm-hmm. I think you know if they're if there's an a if there's a child that maybe isn't ready for certain topics or subjects, then the parent can obviously at least get some advance warning and yeah. kind of avoid those movies. But if a teenager is going to look for you know gore, they're going to find it. <laughs> and with the internet these days, like it's just there's plenty of that out there. So yeah, yeah. So many ways with the internet to, to circumvent all of this. I know that's kind of almost a separate discussion from what we're having right now, but controlling information as a parent, it's got to be a nightmare escape now. Like mm. you could probably, in fact, there is a, a younger worker at my workplace who's never seen the show, the walking dead, but he's always talking about specific scenes from the walking dead that he's tracked down through the internet and watched. It's like, so easy to circumvent, you know, parenting. Mm. You just, you, parents just need to become tech savvy and make sure they Maybe. walk every phone and <laughs> computer. But your child also goes to school and maybe their friends don't have parents that are quite as uh, yeah. strict. And so, oh, I'll just watch it on Timmy's computer then. Mm-hmm. Wow, Timmy, look at that. Yeah. Okay, that's it. <laughs> They're going into a crate. <laughs> <laughs> You're never leaving. <laughs> friends are banned. Leaving the house is banned. <laughs> Lockdown. Lockdown. Lock down your children. <laughs> Hide your kids. Hide your wives. <laughs> yeah, so we've talked about America, which is super interesting. We've talked about Canada, which is less interesting. Um, <laughs> now do you want to hear about like what the world does? I've got a few countries. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Okay, let's go to Venezuela first. So their movies are rated from A to F. And F is considered like family G-rated kind of thing for children of all ages. And A to E are classified by age groups. 
So they have 2, 7, 12, 15, and 18. So, like, if you're trying to go to a D-rated movie, you have to be 15 years or older kind of thing. So they've got their segmented by age ranges again. Um, so, like we talked about. Turks and Caicos, um, they uh, also have a ratings classified by age, um, but their categories are, like, 16 with privilege, meaning, you know, you can be 16 or have an adult accompany you um, to the movie. U is for universal for our G rating or family rating. Um, yeah. So, so again, like a lot of these systems are rated based on ages. The United Kingdom does a very similar thing again with age ranges. They specifically have a number. Uh, so 12 a means, you know, um, it's recommended for children over the age of 12. Um, but if you're under the age of 12, you have to be accompanied by adult. So most of these places are very, uh, age range based. Uh, Russia also has an age range based one. And then they have, um, there's also a refused, uh, classification, which means the movie has been banned in that country. Mm-hmm. Because oh, so any any censorship movie, yes. yeah, any movie that talks about democracy or uh, <laughs> capitalism, yes. it's got to be banned. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so in Russia they do like twelve plus or sixteen plus, and and so that that sort of means you need to be certain age, and then yeah, and then certain movies are like you should not be watching this. This has you know, um, a bad view of Russia in it. We don't want that. <laughs> has elections that aren't rigged. Get that out of here. <laughs> this has democracy. Don't let it in. Free and fair election. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah. So, so most other countries sort of that I saw had kind of an age range, even if they had a letter associated, uh, the age range was really tied to it again. So that real, persistence on the age range because i really think that that our our new rating system that we changed in 2020 of having just descriptors instead of an age range i think is so much better and to yeah, add I, that, I like it oh, go ahead kenny yeah uh, no i was just uh, saying I, I i love the uh just descriptors it just adds more context other than just some mm-hmm. kind of like rating system i don't know mm-hmm. it, it, i could, if i were a parent if i feel like it gives me more information to make the right choices. Mm-hmm. There's something I, I did want to add, and this seems like a good place to do it, though, is uh, I was reading another article. This one was about video games, and it was uh, criticizing the fact that all of our descriptors are focusing on the negative aspects of video games, whereas there is room to you know expand on the positive things that video games do. Like One of the, the quote from the article that I read was, Decades of smear campaigns, first against movies and television, then against internet and video games, have accustomed everyone, industry, scholars, attentive parents, and the media, to see nothing but the negative, thus atrophying the ability to think positively about video games, educational or otherwise, as toys to stimulate faculties and experiences through the usual activities of games and play. And having played several games that I was presented with interesting moral dilemmas, I I do see a lot of room to expand on positive things that can come out of the gameplay experience. This game will help you explore, you know, decision-making about sexuality or or any broad topic like that. And so that can help a parent too and say, this might be a good learning tool for me to introduce my child to at this particular stage in their life. So positive descriptors. 
something I wanted to add to this. Yeah. So maybe if uh, the rating system has like plus and minuses. So if you have an ultra violent video game, but it has tools to teach you about, I think, would it equal balance out? <laughs> like some kind of mathematical <laughs> equation? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can sever the person's head, but if you learn algebra at the same time. <laughs> I love video games and I know that they are violent and I just love them. (laughs) Video games are definitely looked down upon, but I find like some of the best storylines that I've ever encountered in, you know, even literature or, uh, you know, comparing to literature or movies or TV have been through video games. Like they have (laughs) some of the best storylines and it's very interactive and and that's where, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, do do you all remember when video games were being blamed for all the ills of the world? <laughs> Essentially, yes. what changed? They still are. <sighs> are they still? I don't know. Well, back then everything was pixelated. It's like you've got Mario and and Luigi, and they're running around jumping onto I don't know bug looking things, and it's like whoa, violence. <laughs> And well, I know I've I talked think, about yeah. cartoon violence, but like it's just yeah, it seems like now things have changed totally. Yeah, I think so. There's, there's a study uh, from the NIH on you know video games, uh, trying to kind of evaluate the effectiveness of parental guidance uh, to prevent you know problematic problems in children. So, uh, and this was only because there's this perception that, you know, excessive use of video games among children and adolescents was a growing problem. So Mm -hmm. they uh, did a study where they took a sample of children between the ages of 8 and 12. Uh, This was almost uh, 6,000 children in the data set uh, that was drawn from uh, a Norwegian kind of population and equally randomized uh, in terms of, you know, will one group we will uh, do interventions uh, for, you know, pro- when there were problematic video games and another group that did not have any intervention at all. Um, so surprise, surprise, the study showed no difference <laughs> between the two groups. <laughs> so uh, no measurable outcome between the two groups uh, and found. Uh, uh, but, you know, what was interesting about the study was the parents felt more positive and better when they were given, uh, you know, guidance and were allowed the intervention. So <laughs> if there's anything that came out of the studies, nothing changed for the children, but parents felt better <laughs> when they were able to intervene. <laughs> uh, the real goal of parental guidance systems, making the parent yeah. feel better about it. Exactly. So then... You're saying it's okay to expose our children to more violent video games? I would say there's no different. I mean, uh, whether you uh, intervene, um, if a child is playing a video game, if you uh, intervene or didn't intervene, the outcome is exactly the same. Mm. So it feels like it's... Uh, um, it doesn't point to video games as like causing a particular problem, but I think that, you know, like anything, this requires, you know, some active participation from parents to advise, to guide mm-hmm. ch- uh, children. And 
Yeah, I mean, uh, this is why it's always, you know, think when I think think about it, there's always this discussion that happens when we talk about sex, but never any discussion when it comes to about violence at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You highlighted a, an interesting point that's been nagging at my mind, too, about, you know, the guidance is so important in the whole parental guidance system, but it seems like control is what a lot of parents seem to be after. Like, should I or shouldn't I introduce this rather than here it is, they're going to find it. Now I have a duty to guide them through in a certain way. You know, mm-hmm. there's an onus of responsibility to it that I don't know. I don't want to be too uh, condemning of parents not being one and not understanding the challenges of parenting. I feel like the guidance aspect shouldn't be neglected if it is being neglected. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the kids I knew growing up who were like, oh, we're not, I'm not supposed to watch this. Let's watch this. Like, like they, they always found a way to watch it. Um, so like when their parents said, oh, you can't do this. Like they were like, oh, let's go over to Johnny's house and watch this. Cause I'm not allowed to watch it. So like kids are going to get their hands on it. It's about having those discussions with your kids. Like violence is <laughs> everywhere. Sex is everywhere. If you have those discussions with your kids, you can kind of, you can shape how they view violence and, and how maybe they perpetrate violence or not perpetrate violence in their lives, or how they approach sex and, and, and some sex positive messages that you can give them. So I really think those mm-hmm. parental messages are important. Mm-hmm. That's coming from somebody who plays a lot of violent video games, who will continue <laughs> to play violent video games when my kid is born. And we'll and look at how discussion. Sherry turned out. <laughs> Flawless. I'm a very passive person, but I do love getting in my video games and picking up that bow and arrow and shooting those robots. In the video games, you're the ultimate bad mm, mother. I am. Mm. And it makes me feel like if I were, like, you know, I were somewhere where I would need to defend myself, I could pick up a bow and arrow. I could pick up a gun and shoot. I've got that aiming system down. Totally not true. <laughs> have you shot one in real life? <laughs> oh, an arrow? Bow and arrow? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. actually really good at it. And you're accurate? <laughs> yeah. Are you? <laughs> I'm actually really good at it. <laughs> okay. So there is evidence that you could actually do it. <laughs> but, like, I don't think I could ever pick up a gun and shoot it. I, I'm not that type of person. <laughs> but I could in my video yeah. games. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nothing but headshots, eh, Sherry? Oh, nothing but headshots, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Rory knows. Rory plays video games. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm good. I got the headshots. (laughs) (laughs) But I, and and so I'll I'll continue to play those video games, but I'm going to have, you know, conversations with my kids and I might not play the more violent ones around them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there, there is one other aspect. That, uh, that I wanted to touch on. It's the last one that I have for my notes. And that's the whole, uh, your experience may change if the, the content is online or the video game is online. I, knowing the type of people that I've encountered with online video games, I feel like the, the age limit, if we are going with age limits for a child to play something like a Call of Duty or any modern shooter, needs to be way up there. Because these... These people, a lot of the online gamers, not all of them, but a lot of online gamers have no compunction about sharing racist, sexist views or condemning a person to the point of damaging their self-esteem. Like, mm-hmm. If anything is going to receive the most restrictive content warning, it's got to be an experience that you're sharing with other players online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, as a woman who is a gamer, 
I used to play online, like I did like Halo online and stuff like that. And I would have to turn off the microphone because Mm -hmm. I would hear so much sexism and so much racism and so much homophobia that I, I couldn't deal with it. And uh, to this day, I don't play online games anymore. I I just totally do sort of single player because once you get, you know, once you get a bunch of teenage boys or, you know, young boys putting on a headset where they feel safe to sort of spew whatever nonsense mm-hmm. that they think will get a reaction because uh, uh-huh. they want attention, you know, because the brain is not fully developed when you're a teenager and these things come out and, you know, boys are typically the ones who perpetrate it because they are a target for video games. Uh, not to say that all teenage boys do this, but like, you know, it, it feels like this, you know, safe place to get attention and, and it just becomes this negative, very toxic environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, this toxic masculinity. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, there are other ways that uh, parents have really tried to guide the learnings of children. Um, and Different different geographies, different countries kind of have different traditions to kind of uh, help their child become fully formed and you know, well integrated into society. So I want to maybe touch on a few interesting examples out there and see, you know, uh, would you do this for your child? Maybe. Um, so uh, in Japan, um, they are a big fan of. Uh, having their child become more independent as quickly as possible. So, I don't know, what age would you have your child roaming around, you know, the world by themselves? <laughs> you know, if they need to go to school, if they need to, you know, whatever, uh, travel you know, on their own to uh, their friend's place or, again, you know, school on a daily basis. When when would be an appropriate age where you just like literally shoot them out the door? Like, see you, see you in a few hours. <laughs> I think between 10 to 12, um, because I okay. think, I, I don't know if it's Ontario standards or Canada standards or whatever. They say you can't have, leave a child alone at home before age 12. I think it is. So, uh, but I remember I was a pretty mature kid. Um, And so I think at age 10, I started getting, you know, more independence where I could be left alone and stuff like that. And I was totally fine with that. So I think maybe 10 to 12, depending on how mature the child is. I get the feeling you're going to tell us like five years old, though. What do you say, uh, Larry? I think I like your age range, Sherry, is is the 10 to 12. I remember, you know, walking to school and doing some action or some activities independently around grade three, which I guess is... What is that, 10? Is that, I'm trying to count through the years. I don't know. Grade 3 is like 8 years old, right? Oh, is it 8? years old. Okay, so yeah. a little, little younger. But I was also from a, a small town. So if I lived in a big city or I was far away from school, I think I would definitely bump the age up yeah. as to when I would send a child on their own. You would be more afraid of like a moose or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> When they come through, Kenny, you better look at it. <laughs> or a tractor, yeah. or yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I was uh, I was riding the TTC across town, like across Toronto, by myself, probably around the age of twelve. So that was when I was like allowed to literally. I just like left <laughs> for for the weekend, just like 
I, I, I'm going, you know, downtown and just, I'll be back, you know, <laughs> before the sun goes down. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know. When I see little tots like that on the, on the public bus, I, I kind of think like, where's your mommy kind of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot more freedom or I don't know, I guess freedom. I don't know if that's the right word in the nineties. Like there were a lot of latchkey yeah. kids and stuff in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I feel like, whereas now we wouldn't see that quite as much. Yeah. yeah. So in Japan, children the age of six years old are encouraged to walk to school, you know, run errands without any supervision. So and uh, that's the age the I city thought of Tokyo. you were going to give us. Yep. Yep. Kid, kids are literally just, you know, I'm going to just uh, go to school <laughs> and just walk, you know, or figure out directions on my own. And the, the thing is, um, the the culture there, uh, kids are, if they do feel like they're lost or uh, need some help, they are totally willing to just ask an adult, and an adult will help them, right? That mm-hmm. so if they were lost, they need directions, they can just ask a grown up, and they will be provided uh, support. So um, yeah, at at that young age, they're just expected to you know <laughs> make sure you find your way to school and back home. <laughs> okay, now I'm super curious about what the child abduction rate is in in oh, Japan. Their it's very so low. low. If it's yeah. super yeah. low, then maybe that's why they feel you know more comfortable doing that. Even in even in Canada, America, like the percentage of child abductions that happen from someone outside of your family is so low. Mm-hmm. Like it it doesn't mm-hmm. happen quite as much, you know. But we but because of these these cases that are that happen that they've just become so sensationalized in the news. Then we think, oh no! If anyone, if anyone leaves, any child leaves their house all alone, they're going to get abducted immediately. So <laughs> yeah. we have this fear, but um, yeah, but definitely Japan has a very low crime rate. They're they're very good. Their culture really uh, upholds, you know, honesty and and things like that. So and the other thing as well, uh, Japanese students, uh, even you know, from first grade and onwards, they clean. Those classrooms, you know, sweep mm-hmm. the hallways, mm-hmm. clean the washroom, everything. I like that system. So. I think that's great. Not that I want to put custodians out of work. I think we should still have custodians, but uh, definitely get those kids in there being responsible for their own mess because they just create so much mess and, and don't even care, especially those teenagers. They're awful. I'm sensing some personal experience yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Working at a, a, a high school, I just see these kids just like drop stuff and keep going. And, I, and I'm supervising the hall, and I'm like, "What? Turn around! What did you just do? Like, look at—you just dropped something. Pick it up." <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Oh man. Yeah. Anyways, there, there are many other you know differences uh, in terms of how um, children are brought up around the world. Um, I'll maybe hit on uh, one one that was more interesting that kind of showed up. Um, in Scandinavian children are raised on the concept of uh, being in the outdoors, etc. So there's this this tendency to literally leave you know babies to nap outside um even in the dead of winter <laughs> like, like, you know, no. like just to like 
Build yourself an igloo, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like just like just you know, nap outside, taking lots of you know open air. So you'll often see you know babies napping in strollers. And the thing is, this is actually not a very unusual thing because like back in the nineteen thirties, there was this concept of. Uh, raising children uh, to kind of be outdoors and to just like hang out outdoors. Uh, so, have you ever s- heard of baby cages? Wait, not in a good context. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so, in the 1930s, uh, even in North America, there was this. Uh, uh, you can actually like buy baby cages to. Uh, attach onto your windows so you know uh, you know like new york city you picture like air conditioners hanging outside windows no you can buy these cages to (laughs) hang onto your window and just let the baby you know hang out in these cages that are sticking outside (laughs) outside the window so you don't these like acs hanging out you just have this this baby cage or the baby (laughs) sitting in it oh my goodness well, I know what I'm going to be on the lookout for if I ever visit Scandinavia now. <laughs> and it's a baby cage. <laughs> yeah. So the if you, you even if you like uh, Google, you know, baby cage is outside window, you'll see like photos from the 1930s of parents. They've just installed this cage <laughs> where the baby's just outside. Are there like really high quality ones available to buy on like online purchase websites? Because I, I think I've, I've just found a baby shower gift for a friend. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you what is this? It's a baby cage. <laughs> Not my child in a baby cage. <laughs> I knew you'd but like Sherry, that. think of the benefits. They get fresh air. They get to, you know, be out in nature. Get some nice Please. vitamin D. These baby cages are terrifying. I just googled it. I just googled it. These ter- these are terrifying. These are these, this can't be safe. There's Do you see this, like it's little like hanging outside the window on an apartment building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the stiff breeze will blow it off the hook. Okay, now I am scared. Oh my god! But the babies look so happy outside. Uh huh. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh. Actually, the photos I'm looking at, the baby looks quite concerned. The baby looks like, I don't think I belong here. It's going to be a whole generation of children with some real trauma when it comes to heights. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my god, there's a... Oh, okay, can I just say... <laughs> you, you brought me down a rabbit hole. I, I'm going to tap on this picture to show you. There's a baby cage for a car. So the baby is uh, hanging outside the car They're there. hanging off the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like... It's Babies like need fresh air. <laughs> and it looks like a baby seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, baby, the baby's like a dog, you know? They, they wants to stick its head out of the window. <laughs> yeah, not going to lie, like, eight, ten-year-old me kind of thinks that idea is awesome. Like, wow, I'm on the outside! <laughs> <laughs> wow. This, this is so, this is something else. Oh, some people have baby cages for their cats now. 
there's a baby cage for a cat. So, Kenny, you can yeah. put your cat in a yeah. baby cage. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think my cat would be happy. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I bet cats don't appreciate it much either. Yeah. yeah. Well, like maybe not like... I, I live in an apartment, so I don't think they like hanging out <laughs> with no surface below them. <laughs> wow. That's that's quite the rabbit hole. Thank you, Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. So you're welcome. So the, this takes parental guidance to a whole new level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, you know, uh, there are many websites for other tips and tricks. The CDC has a great website on child development and positive parenting. So I briefly perused it and it, it seems it, you know, it feels like the CDC has to state a lot of common sense kind of things like, you know, <laughs> talk to your child, like literally <laughs> like the advice is talk to your child. <laughs> but at the same time, given the pandemic, I feel like, yeah, definitely the CDC needs to like state, very common sense things because clearly mm-hmm. there's certain parts of the population that <laughs> does not really know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. So that's all I got for today. <laughs> I'm still stuck on Rory getting me a baby cake for a baby shower. <laughs> <laughs> Be wary of any gifts shaped like a cage, Sherry. <laughs> I'm not opening it. Rory, just... Uh, this this buy a, uh, a cage maybe just use the box but that's the uh, the the gag present for yeah it. yeah <laughs> sure <laughs> I gotta find a cage box somewhere <laughs> now now Rory if you actually can find a baby cage that would be pretty impressive like <laughs> right now go to like a baby go to like a you know a baby store and like I just seriously ask them where can I get a baby where, cage to cage hang outside can you help me find the cage aisle <laughs> pull up photos pull up photos I'm looking for something like this so my <laughs> my friend can have her baby in an apartment building and hang the baby outside <laughs> Oh, man. Those ones are the most terrifying ones. The ones where they're just free hanging out there. <laughs> I can't even handle that. Not even as a gag. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder if Amazon sells this sort of thing. Would you be okay with a baby cage, Rory? Like yourself? Like, for me to occupy yeah. as a baby? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if no. you can say baby because you wouldn't really understand as a baby or yourself as a baby. But, like, young you, would you, young you be okay? Absolutely not. Uh, no way. Not in any way, shape, or form. No, no. He just needs a Nintendo. You'll be fine in a baby cage. Yeah, maybe. If you stick a Nintendo in there, it, it might be all right. I would have gone into a baby cage for a Nintendo. Snap <laughs> the Nintendo in there. The baby's lured in. Exactly. <laughs> You'll be too distracted to even care that you're hanging, you know, 20 feet, 20 floors off the ground. 20 yeah. floors. I'm scared to even go out on the balcony of something that high. Oh, yeah. Okay. So thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> I hope we have enabled you with parenting tips. Yeah. Went to some, some interesting places in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone.
Terry, are you having trouble? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, so I, sorry. I sense technical difficulties. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm, are we good? I'm back, I think. Uh, no, no, um, we're mute. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? No. <laughs>